Welcome to Creativity School. This is the podcast all about how to tap into your creativity and get your greatness out of you and into the world. I'm your host, Grace Chan, and each week we'll get lessons on how to start the thing you've always wanted to start and learn the tips and strategies you need for how to be awesome at it. If you're one of those people that feels a calling to do something, make something, or be something more, if you want to start shining your light and share it with the world, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to episode 34 of Creativity School. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. I am so thankful you're here again this week. And if you're new, welcome. I'm so glad that you're tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is an awesome way to listen to your books the same way you listen to podcasts. I love Audible. If I'm not listening to a podcast when I'm walking Zoe in the morning, I'm listening to a book on Audible. So if you want to keep the good juju and inspiration going after you listen to an episode of this show, I highly recommend you check out a book on Audible. I'm going to recommend You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero again because I'm still re-listening to it this week and it is so good. It is getting me so pumped up, so inspired to get out there, clear out all the money limiting beliefs that I have and really start being a badass and making the money that I deserve. So you can get started with a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial that you can cancel at any time by heading over to my website, creativityschoolpodcast.com slash audible. That's creativityschoolpodcast.com slash audible. If you sign up using my link, you'll be directly supporting the show, and I hope you like Audible as much as I do. I hope you all had an amazing week. I don't know if you listened to last week's episode that I did with Laura Olson, and it was all about discovering your unique purpose using human design. I wasn't expecting this, but this episode actually has been one of my most popular, most downloaded episodes so far out of 33 episodes that have come out. So if you haven't listened to it yet, it's something that you might want to go back and listen to, especially if you're interested in learning more about yourself and how your human design can help you learn all about how you operate in the world. I thought it was a really interesting episode myself, and it was really cool to see that you guys thought so too. And if you did figure out what your human design type is, I'm curious, reach out and let me know. As I shared last week, I am a manifesting generator. And I found that actually to be pretty accurate in the way that I create and move through the world. I'm curious if you thought yours was accurate too. Reach out, let me know, would love to hear your thoughts. I don't know how many of you listening watched Netflix's smash summer hit last year called To All the Boys I've Loved Before, based on Jenny Han's young adult novel. That's the same title. It came out a year ago. It stars Lana Condor, who is an Asian-American actress, and it is the first time that I personally have ever seen a teen rom-com movie with an Asian-American heroine. And that was a really big deal for me personally because I grew up eating up 
teen rom-com movies. Like they were my jam from Save the Last Dance to 10 Things I Hate About You. I had a little bit of a Julia Stiles thing. I love her. To that movie with Rachel Lee Cook where she was the quote unquote ugly nerd that was obviously really beautiful under her glasses. And then she got a makeover and got to date Freddie Prince Jr. Anyway, you know a genre I'm talking about. I love those movies. It was such a treat last year to watch to all the boys I've loved before come out. And it was such a smash hit. But why am I telling you all this? Well, Lana Condor put out an Instagram video this week. She shot it a year ago, minutes before the release of the movie. And it's her and her boyfriend, I guess, sitting in a car and they are counting down three minutes, two minutes, one minute until the moment that the movie is released on Netflix. And I love this video because it is such a moment of vulnerability that she's showing in this video. And it's a moment that I find so relatable because she's crying. She's so nervous about this movie about to come out. She shares in her caption that she had no idea what was going to happen in her life as a result of this movie being such a huge smash success. And there's no way of knowing that. You just don't know how something is going to land when it gets out into the world. So three minutes before this movie comes out, she is terrified. She is so nervous. She's literally crying tears of anxiety and being scared. And then the movie comes out. It hits 12 a.m. The movie's out on Netflix. And she hears like the da-dun, you know, that Netflix sound. And like she cries again because she's just so nervous. And I have been there. Not to that scale. If I was her, I would have been crying way more than she was. Not to that scale. But I know what that feels like to be on the verge of putting out a new series of work or even putting up an Instagram post where I'm being extra honest and extra vulnerable and feeling like the nerves in my stomach. Like, I I can't believe I'm putting this out there. How are people going to receive this? And feeling so terrified, really. I think we all know what that feeling is. And to watch Lana Condor, who is an amazing actress, to watch her go through that, it was so relatable. And she even said in her caption, I feel really nervous about sharing this video with you, but I want to share it with you because it's a big part of my journey. I really admired that so much. So number one, If you haven't watched the show and you're into this genre, I guarantee you're going to like it. I don't want to hype it up. Maybe I should say it sucked, but that would be a lie and the entire internet loved it. So um, I'd be lying, but it's a really, really fun movie. She's a great actress. Noah Centineo, who was last year's internet boyfriend, is adorable in it. And number two, go watch her Instagram video and you're going to feel like, wow, she knows what I've been going through and I'm so glad she shared that moment. So I love that this week. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Lana Condor, who will never hear this, but I really respect and admire you for putting that out in the world for all of us to see and relate to. So thank you. I am so excited about this week's guest. Her name is Jennifer Perkins, and she's a creative content designer for places like HGTV and DIY Network. She has worked in the creative industry as an author, editor, television host, crafter, and even professional tree decorator for over 20 years. And she is the first person that I've had on this podcast so far whose background is in crafting, which I don't know anyone that does that. So I'm so excited to delve into her world and pick her brain on all things 
business, and creativity. She's also the host of one of my favorite podcasts called Creative Queso, and it's all about the business of being creative and the creativity behind running a business. So there really is no better guest to have on today to talk about all things related to creativity and business, and we really get into it and talk about so many topics. I'm just going to cover a couple of them because there are so many things that we dig into, but we talk about things like the importance of making money in a lot of different ways, especially so that you don't burn out. We talk about how to prevent yourself from getting bored when you turn your creative hobby into a business and you end up doing the same thing over and over and over again. And we talk about something really important, and that's how to start learning and embracing the business, marketing, and promotion side of things. I think this is a big issue for a lot of people because it can feel really uncomfortable promoting yourself and your work. And we talk about how to do that without turning people off. We also talk about how to network when you hate networking. I hate networking. I get it. And we talk about the ways that we get around sort of the schmoozy side of networking. That's just some of the things we talk about. There's a lot. If you want to learn more about the business aspect of being creative and running your own creative empire, I highly recommend you listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy all the things we talk about this week with Jennifer. Definitely be sure to check out Creative Queso if you like this episode because she's got so many good tips on her show and she interviews a lot of really awesome creative people too. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with Jennifer Perkins and until next time, put something great out there. Hi Jennifer, thanks for joining me on my show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. I'm so excited to have you on. I love your work. I love your Instagram and I love your podcast. So I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. And you do a lot of stuff. When people ask you, what do you do? What do you say? Well, you know, a lot of times I'll be like, well, what day is it? Like, who do I owe work to? And sometimes I don't even keep it straight. I just got off right before we chatted. I got off a conference call with a company that I do content for. Tonight, I have a conference call with a company I decorate Christmas trees for. Then, you know, then we're recording a podcast. So it's kind of like every minute, it's like different who I'm like working for, what I'm doing. There's a lot of irons in the fire and I don't always uh, keep it straight. But the overarching theme of your work is that you're a crafter. It is all like craft-based. And on top of that, usually all my crafts are kind of kitschy and kind of vintage inspired. I love thrifting. I love flea markets. I love a lot of color. More is more, less is a bore. So that's kind of what ties all of those things together for me, whether I'm decorating a Christmas tree, I'm making a craft project, or I'm doing a podcast thing. You know, in my mind, it ties it all together anyway. (laughs) And for those listening, because we talk about all kinds of creativity on the show, and you are actually the first quote unquote crafter we have on. So how would you define crafting? Jeez, like, well, crafting comes in so many different ways. I guess I consider myself more of a creative than necessarily a crafter, because I think crafts, you think of like, you know, knitting or doing like a little like a decoupage project, but then a creative, you know, could be someone like you who's a photographer or an artist. So I kind of blend those two all together. Like to me, that's just all one kind of, you're crafty at photography and I can be creative in another way. They all kind of blend together and meld into 
one thing for me. Does that answer the question-ish? Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm trying to get an idea of the work you do. It's Is it all handmade, made out of different materials? Like I'm trying to paint a picture for the audience. Okay, well, the way I define crafting is, like I said, just as much as my freelance career is all over the place, so are the crafts that I do. I might paint a picture. Last week, I was making polymer clay rainbow ornaments for a Pride Month tree with my daughter, uh, sparkly wooden earrings a week before that. I just recently taught a class on painting. It's all kind of what you would think of as general crafts, like is there paint? Is there glitter? Is there yarn? All of those things are involved and they're all kind of definitely handmade. And sometimes they're for adults and sometimes they're for kids, but they're all just kind of fun and creative. I love it because I I think I'm a terrible crafter (laughs) personally. I mean, I guess you can't be terrible at crafting, right? I'm judging myself, but I used to be really into it when I was a kid. And I think as I got older, I loved photography because in a way it's almost the opposite of crafting. Like I'm not making stuff with my hands per se. It's like all digital and not in real life. So I'm very fascinated by crafting actually, because when I was a kid, I started being an entrepreneur through crafting. And I think that is so cool that you have made an entire career from this. And I'm curious, how long have you been doing this as a career? As a career, it's been my full-time gig for almost 20 years. Wow. So, like you, I started my first little side hustle was when I was a little kid, like 10, making fishing lure earrings and selling them at garage sales. So, <laughs> you know, it was a kid thing. It was never something I thought I would do as a full-time job. I mean, I have a degree in psych. It just, as sometimes it happens, I just randomly found this thing that clicked for me and then I've just kept on going. How did you go from psych into a full-time career doing what you do now? <laughs> Um, Well, you know, I got my degree and then I immediately realized that I needed to pay the bills, which was hard in a city like Austin, which is a big college town and everybody has a bachelor's degree. So I started a job as an administrative assistant and I began a company. They kind of forgot I was there and didn't give me anything to do. And so I started a company called Naughty Secretary Club because I was in fact a naughty secretary (laughs) because I was like learning to build a website and make jewelry. Literally at my desk, I would bring like pieces of jewelry and jump rings and pliers and like answer phones while I did this. At the time, I think I still had visions of going on to graduate school eventually to do the full-time psychology thing because both of my parents were psychologists. But then, you know, the jewelry business just kind of started building like more and more and more. And after a few years while I was a secretary and kind of doing this on the side, I got a feature in Bus Magazine and I got so many orders that I had to quit my day job. It was kind of that moment of like, either I keep the day job and tell all these people I can't make their jewelry or I just say, peace out to the day job and go try to make jewelry full time. And I was just like, well, there's other like administrative assistant gigs or, you know, or the graduate school thing if this jewelry business doesn't work out. But like once I got a taste of the freelancer life, there was no, there was no turning back. Wow. What was that like having to fulfill all those orders? Were you working nonstop doing that? I was. And it's funny because I talked to a lot of people that have this similar story that it Mm -hmm. sounds like they were these overnight business successes. But like really, there were several years of that happening. I was already to a point with my business where I was the administrative assistant by day, but I was like waking up before I went to work, putting orders together. On my lunch break at the office, I was going to the post office and mailing orders. I was coming home from that office job and like making jewelry, taking pictures of jewelry, putting it on the internet all night until bedtime. So it was 
already beyond a side hustle. You know, it was already almost making as much as my day job was. Wow. So it wasn't this like giant magical leap of faith like it sounds like. I mean, there was the added bonus of health insurance when I was an administrative assistant. So that was a loss. But it wasn't quite as magical. My overnight success was actually several years in the making. Which I feel like that's how it usually is. Like we Mm -hmm. only see the endpoint of, oh, look, she got this great feature in Bust Magazine and now she's this overnight success, quote unquote, overnight success. And that's never really the case. It's like you spent a lot of time building your business to get to that point. And I'm very similar as you. I was working in a corporate job in the ad world as an art director and I started a side hustle as a pep photographer and I was doing both. And like you, it's like whatever I could do at work, I would like market research or looking at my logo or scheduling clients or answering emails, you know, all that stuff. And then by the time I quit, it it didn't really feel like a huge risky leap of faith because I had built a business. I knew I had clients and I also knew like I could always go back. Exactly. There's always that. You can always, especially for me, it's like I was an administrative assistant. It's not like I had this $100,000 a year job that was like amazing and everything I'd always wanted that I was leaving behind. I mean, like you said, there is a lot of people in the creative industry that you hear these stories of like, you know, and then this happened and they got to quit their job. But like there's usually years of buildup before the and this happened. Well, I love your podcast. It's called Creative Queso, which I think that's the coolest name, by the way. (laughs) And your podcast is about the business of being creative. And you say you love marketing and you love the business aspect of things. So I'm really excited to have you on to talk about sort of the nitty gritty of being a creative and having a business, because I think it's something that a lot of creatives struggle with. It's like you're the artist, but you're not the business person. And so I really want to pick your brain on all this stuff. Well, I am, I am here. Pick away. Well, ready to pick. Let's just like start off the bat, okay? Like making money, doing what you love. And I just feel like at this point in my career, I mean, I've been doing this for 11, 12 years now. So it's not just me, but I've seen the landscape of possibility out there, especially now with YouTube and everything, right? Content creators. I just feel like it's possible to make money however you want. Obviously, there's going to be some strategy involved, right? But I have a pretty weird ass job. I'm a pep photographer and I have somehow leveraged this into a career. And I'm curious, what is your advice on how to make money with the things that you can make? Goodness. Well, there's a lot of different ways, right? Like you said, as a content creator. And for me, the way I personally make money is a lot of different ways. Like I always tell people when you're a freelance creative or a content creator like I am, right? Like if you have a day job, you get that one paycheck. But if you're someone like me, I have several little paychecks that make up my income. Like you mentioned, like let's say I'm making ad revenue off of how-to YouTube videos. Let's say I occasionally vend at a craft fair and I sell things directly or, you know, I have a podcast and maybe there's ads on there or I write freelance craft content. Like I do that a lot for like HGTV and DIY. There's several different ways to make money at it. Like I hate to use this saying, it's like an old Southern saying and as a pet photographer, I feel really dirty saying this. There's more than one, <laughs> there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> You're terrible. I know. The other day I said like killing two birds with one stone. And I was like, God, that's a really horrible like saying like we should really edit that. But anyway, what I'm getting at is there is a lot of different ways to make money as a quote unquote crafter. And nine times out of 10, you're going to need to do them all in order to actually pay the bills being creative. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm glad you mentioned this right off the bat because, you know, I was going to ask you this later, but it's this idea that when you're a freelance creative, it's really 
hard to, I call them buckets. It's hard to have just have one income producing bucket. You really have to have a lot of different buckets. Like for me, I like similar to you, I make money in a lot of different ways. As a photographer, it's the most obvious, right? I'm a commercial photographer. So it's like, I can work with an ad agency and they're going to pay me money. That's the best way to make money because I got paid a lot working very little. But then I can take on a private photo shoot with somebody. So like a family can hire me for their Christmas card photos. There's stock photography. So now you can take existing images you have or shoot new work and put it up on a stock website. There's art licensing. So I don't know if you delve into art licensing at all, but art licensing, it's like you take the work you made and now get it onto paper goods or shower curtains or in frames and stores. Like there's so many different ways to make money with what you do. And really as a freelancer, it's like, like you said, you have to skin a cat in a lot of different ways to really maximize your income. I think really because, and I found this in my career, if I'm only making money, taking photos for families, for example, I only have 24 hours in a day and there's only one me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to reach a ceiling very quickly. Did you find that in your career with doing like naughty secretary or just at the very beginning of your career? Um, I definitely did. And that's why I don't make jewelry full time anymore because I just like hit burnout. Sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for because when that is all you do day in, day out, like it could just burn you out. And I think that now I've just embraced the fact that I'm just kind of half crafty ADD and it's better for me financially and mentally to have all these different buckets as you call them or multiple streams of income because if I'm just like, dude, I cannot do another art show, then it's like, well, then maybe I could focus a little harder on getting some like affiliate income via my podcast. When I'm starting to just reach that breaking point with one avenue, then, you know, if you have multiple things going, you can just jump to the other thing for a little bit and take a break. Plus, sometimes naturally with the economy, some of those streams are going to slow and you need to have some other sources coming. You know what I mean? Like maybe your stock photography business isn't doing hot, but suddenly like all these families want pictures of their dogs. You know, I mean, you know how it is. It waxes and wanes and ebbs and flows. And one's always kind of, it seems to me anyway, one slows down and another one picks up. Yeah. And so let's just think about this from somebody who's listening, say, and they started making something that they want to sell on Etsy. Like they're at the very, very, very beginning stages and they're just selling on Etsy and they're starting to feel the burnout, what would you recommend their next step be? Like, how do we start building those buckets? One of the ways I combated it with jewelry personally was that I just kind of started making different jewelry in a different style. And I just started to promote that because I had two different distinct styles on my website, right? There was the like, here are the 20 bracelets you can order, you know, and then people would order A, B, or C. And so I was making that same thing over and over and over again. And what I really wanted to do was make one of a kind pieces. So I kind of really started pushing those one-of-a-kind things more, what I was more interested in, and kind of minimizing my promotion of the things that I was feeling the burnout on. With an Etsy store, you could you could take out a pay ad on the things that interest you more. You could, you know, at the top of your shop, you can have the featured items, take out the things that you're just like over making, totally like clean them out of your shop if they're your bread and butter, but put the things you're more interested in selling and pursuing there at the top of your Etsy store. You know, all of those things, start showing that more in your social channels and those things. Once you have an audience, like a lot of times, like they're there for you and your style, like you're the secret sauce. They're already 
like a built-in audience, then you can start leading them down a path of your different creative passions and avenues. You just kind of have to baby step them into it. Yeah. And I like this idea of just pivoting slightly into something that sparks your curiosity a little bit more. Because I think like you said, this burnout is really common with anything. It's like if you if you start it as a hobby because you love it and then you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, it starts getting really boring and it doesn't feel like joyful anymore. And I think, you know, I, I keep going back to photography because I'm a photographer. But like you said, you know, maybe if you're making one kind of jewelry, you can start experimenting and doing another thing. And if you're a photographer, this is why people always say shoot personal work because you're going to get paid to shoot the same style of work constantly when you're doing photography. That's why people are coming to you because like you said, they're coming to you for your style and your secret sauce. But the work you make for yourself is really an opportunity for you to play and explore and make the work that you really feel like making. And there, it's not tied to getting paid for it or having pressure from people to make it look a certain way. So I really like this idea of pivoting just slightly into something that makes you more curious so that you can spark joy again. And then once that's out there, people might hire you for that or buy it. You know what I mean? And then now it's like another way to make money. When I started shooting my personal work and it got a lot of attention, people started coming to me more for that kind of work, like to get paid for it. I think that happens all the time. It's funny. I walked in, I was doing an art show not long ago and I walked in on this conversation between these two creatives, one of which was a photographer. And she was saying how a lot of times she has to do her own shoots and her own sessions and her own thing and her own style just to kind of as a palate cleanser to get the voices of the people that have hired her out of her head and just kind of like realign with her own vision. And I think for me, like as a content creator, you know, the things that I might do for HGTV or another client is not necessarily what I would do. My style and my taste is a lot like wackier and crazier on my own than maybe I'm doing like art or art journaling or, you know, kind of crazy wackadoodle things that wouldn't sell to a mass audience. But that's what I love and what I want to do. And it's kind of my palate cleanser and just gets those like the voices of the other people that hired me out of my head a little bit lets me kind of clear some space for me getting back in touch with what sparks joy with me creatively. Yeah. Yeah. And then as you're trying to grow your business and grow your revenue streams, are you thinking strategically about where you feel like your work could live? I mean, in theory, (laughs) (laughs) that's a definitely like do as I say, not as I do type of thing. I mean, like you mentioned, there's just so many avenues of ways that you could make money as a creative. So it's just like finding the time to get all those wheels in motion can be tricky as everybody knows in a perfect world. Like I would just love to have tons of discretionary income to hire an army of virtual assistants who are like editing YouTube videos and promoting a podcast and doing this and doing that. Like I know there's, there's more ways than even I'm currently conquering, but I don't always create it strategically, but I'm trying to get better at it and think about how to break down one piece of content into several different, several different ways. Like, how could I make a podcast into something that also maybe could work on YouTube and then maybe a teaser for Facebook and then maybe something on the blog? And how does it tie into something I'm selling or creating for my jenniferperkins.com site? So I'm trying to be better about that and try to make all the puzzle pieces work and gel better. Is that always with the goal of monetization or is it about brand building? Like when you are in an ideal world strategizing that way, what is the why behind it all? Like, what are you trying to do? 
It's not always monetizing. I mean, cause that makes it just kind of sound dirty. <laughs> well, the thing of it is, is like I had this conversation with someone who was also in the same realm that I am, you know, creates content for a living. And they were mentioning like, oh, you know, I just might retire this, that and the other. And I was like, yeah, but are you going to craft anyway? Like, are you going to do this stuff even if you're retired? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, well, then you might as well get paid for it. Right. And that's kind of for me even if I wasn't getting paid for this, I am still going to craft. Like my grandma used to say, like, you got to let it out or you'll get sick. I am still going to glue pom-poms to stuff, whether or not someone pays me to do it. So I might as well get paid to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess this year, the end goal for me has really been, I don't know why I keep thinking about like a Venn diagram kind of thing, you know, where I'm trying to make all the things like gel more and be more cohesive kind of. And that's why I started the podcast, much like you kind of spreading the gospel about creativity and running a creative business and also kind of an online mastermindy group and place where people can bounce ideas off of each other. Because I think within creativity, that's such an important aspect. For me, it is like, I just find when I'm with my like-minded people that my creativity tends to like really go up. Like I have this friend and we call it twinkle thinking. And when we're together, like, <laughs> when we're together, like suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, yes. Oh, think about doing it that way. Like that's perfect. And so that's kind of where my podcast is going in relation to creativity and crafts. Does that answer your question or was that? Yeah. Yeah. Not random. And I love twinkle thinking. I think it's really important to have friends that you can do your twinkle thinking with because it helps. It's like we can't create in a vacuum. And Mm -hmm. it's so nice to have someone to bounce ideas off of who you know can help the ideas get better. Exactly. And, you know, and sometimes I have those that are great for me that way, creativity wise. And then I have ones that like, we may not have a business that's similar at all, like on paper, but at the end of the day, business is business. And we can still sit and talk about what's working for you on Instagram and what's working for you with art licensing or Society6 shop or, you know, or those kinds of things. Yeah. And I mentioned this very briefly at the top, but you said you happen to love marketing as much as making, and you know that to be successful in the creative industry, you need both. So I really want to dig into this because I think for a lot of creatives, embracing the business and marketing aspect of things is really hard and it doesn't come naturally to us. So let's get into talking about this. How are you so good at the business and marketing aspect of things? Is it just something you learned along the way? Yeah, you know, I I think it's, have you ever been to Creative Mornings? Do y'all have that in LA? I think we do and I've never been. Okay, well, we have it. I mean, it's nationwide, but I went and I was a speaker in December for the one here in Austin and it was on traditions. And so I kind of like started, you start writing a lecture or a speech and then you start this journey of self-discovery. I'm just like, oh my God, what? Like, I didn't even realize. Like, I just like used my psych degree and totally analyzed myself. But one of the things I discovered was that my mom, even though she was a psychologist too, I think she just got the degree to impress my dad. She was like super creative and super super crafty. There was never a surface in our house that she wasn't trying to like decoupage or put a piece of mosaic on. But then my dad, on the other hand, was like always pushing the like, why don't you make those earrings and sit up at the garage sale and try to sell that? And then like, why don't you like literally paying me to watch like the Wall Street Weekend review with him on the weekends? Like I would get a bump in my allowance if I would watch on PBS, the Wall Street Weekend review. (laughs) You know, I think I'm this like weird product of my parents. You know what I mean? Mm. Like one's crafty and one's like all about the hustle. 
And so I think some of it is that genetic thing, but I've always thought of marketing as kind of this like this game, sort of like kids collect Pokemon cards. Like I like to collect press and contacts and publications that I've been in because like at the end of the day, if a band has a great song, but they're not promoting it and they're not going on tour and they're not playing shows or, you know, or whatever, like nobody's going to know about that great song. I've always said that there's people that, you know, make better jewelry than me, that make better crafts than me. They just may not know how to promote it as well as I do. So I think it's a super important skill that if you don't feel comfortable in, start doing some research. Like there's about four gazillion podcasts on how to market your creative business. Creative Queso is obviously the best one. But (laughs) of course, you you just need to brush up on it. Just like you would practice your knitting or you might practice your painting. Just work on it like it's another skill. Yeah, I think there is no better time than now to learn new stuff. I mean, there's so much free content out there. And like you said, there's your podcast. There's just so many podcasts out there to learn about how to market your work. And if it's something that it's not your strong suit, it's just so easy to listen to a podcast while you're driving or while you're washing the dishes and really start brushing up, like you said, on knowledge that you didn't have. I'm, I'm similar to you. I grew up very business-minded since I was a kid. So I've had little businesses my entire life. I think for me, it was very natural to sort of figure out how to make money with my stuff and then market myself. And I think marketing yourself, like you said, it is so important. And for whatever reason, I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable doing it. They don't want to talk themselves up or something. Do you find that kind of resistance in people? I definitely do. I don't know at what point I got over that. I will say this, that I have a lot less trouble promoting a craft I made or jewelry I made when it's just like product than I do promoting, say, the podcast or, <laughs> or the possibility of consulting when it's like, it's me. That's when the imposter syndrome kicks in for me. I mean, none of us are beyond it. If it's a piece of jewelry, I can sit and tell you about how amazing it is for days. How amazing Jennifer Perkins is. And I'm just like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm all right, I guess. Like, well, <laughs> you know, but I start to get all like fumbly, so... Yeah, I'm the same way. I it's, it's so easy for me to feel super confident in the work I make, but not in myself. It's totally different. Yes, it is different. And you know, but if you are like a creative person that makes things and you're not totally comfortable with the the marketing side of things, you know, maybe that, let's say you sell at craft fairs, right? Maybe that's when it's a good time for you to kind of get involved in a craft show that already does great promotion and you're not in charge of doing the promotion. You know, if you're not ready to like toot your own horn yet, attach your wagon to someone else's star that's doing all that stuff for you for the start. You know, and then you can kind of ease your way into it. But it is it's definitely a necessary evil. You got to learn to do it. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a, like a really fine balance. To, I don't want to say fine balance, but I think a lot of people feel like they're bragging about themselves and you're not bragging about yourself. And I think there's a way to talk about your work without having it sound like you're being totally egotistical about it. No, yeah, it is totally a fine line. I mean, think about people that you listen to that talk about themselves and the things that they've done. I mean, I rarely, the people that I listen to their podcasts or take their little online classes, like they're talking about themselves and pumping themselves up, but I don't walk away from it with a bad taste in my mouth about them. They're just like, I guess validating themselves is not the right word, but you know, I don't walk away and just go like, who do they think they are? <laughs> you know, I'm not yeah, like, oh, yeah. at them or anything. 
What do you think is that distinction? I've thought about this a lot because I think that for whatever reason, I've learned how to talk about my work without it sounding like, who does she think she is? And I've wondered like, what is that fine line? How do you write about yourself and talk about yourself online and pump your work up without leaving a bad taste in people's mouth? I will give you one example. Okay. I see this a lot in say Instagram bios, okay? Where someone will be like, I am the world's leading best dog photographer in the world. (laughs) And I'm like, really? Are you though? I don't know. I don't know what it is about bios written like that, but they kind of rub me the wrong way. And I feel like there is a fine line between tooting your own horn and sounding like a dick. Absolutely there is. I mean, and you need to like just tread lightly and find that place. But if you're already trepidatious about tuning your own horn, I don't think you're going to be that person that's going to jump straight to the, I am God's gift to crafts. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Those people have a whole different set of issues and God bless their parents for doing a good job patting them on the back and raising them, (laughs) you know, raising them with some self-confidence. Yeah, no, you're right. If it's, it's like, if you already have the self-awareness of feeling like, I don't want to feel like I'm bragging, you're probably not going to be one of those people that are bragging. And yeah, and you know, also just like look to like-minded people and other people that you respect in the industry. If you're not sure how to word your bio, like how are they wording theirs? If you're not sure how to write your Instagram description, like how are they wording theirs? You know, look to the people that don't make you feel it and you admire and have similar followers. I always think to myself about, Oh, I just heard someone talking about Jenna. I don't know how to say her last name. Kutcher? Jenna Kutcher? Yeah. Is that her, her name? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The gold, gold digger. Podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, the intro to her podcast is like, I'm a millionaire, but I'm a mac and cheese lover. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it has some little, like she has some little blurb that's the intro like that. So it's like, I'm awesome, but I'm a person just like you. You know, it's like perfectly crafted, I think. Yeah. Like both. Here's why you should listen to me and I'm valid to give advice, but also I like macaroni and cheese just like you do. So I think that's like a good way to, a little yin and yang to your description. I agree. I think it's that authenticity that really makes people relate to you and you can absolutely be confident in the successes that you've had and talk about the things that you've done and be proud of it and still be authentic and relatable to people. Like your mac and cheese example. I like that. And I love Jenna Kutcher, by the way. She's a great example of somebody who does this really well because she is like a multimillionaire. Yo, and I love her podcast. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not bashing her at all. I'm saying that's a perfect example. Yeah. Of who I think does a good mix of both. And to some extent, if you're doing what Jenna does or you're doing what you're doing with your podcast or I'm doing with my podcast, we are trying to set ourselves up in a position of we have this career, you know, we know what we're doing. You have to kind of pepper in like, I've done this, this, and this without sounding like, Hey, everybody, I've done this, this, and this. Like, you know what I mean? You (laughs) kind of like, I want to like let people know, I'm not just talking out my butt here. I have worked for some people in my day, but you know, without it sounding like total, I'm the world's best pet photographer. But I am the world's best pet photographer. No, I'm kidding. I'm talking about the guy. (laughs) (laughs) How important do you think networking is when it comes to having a creative business? Because I have a feeling that you enjoy it just based on this conversation with you, but not everybody does. What do you think? I think in the beginning, it's funny, I'm going through a networking resurgence. (laughs) I think in the beginning of my career, networking was super important. I used to be in a group called the Austin Craft Mafia. There was about 10 of us. And one of the reasons we started that group is because 
when one of us got a piece of press, we always mentioned the others. Or if one of us took out a pay ad in a magazine, we would always have like our logo and send people to the group website. So it was really kind of creating this synergy between us. And from there, we started another group here in Austin called the Babes in Business Bonanza. <laughs> because oh. I love alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... And that was a networking event here in Austin for small creative business owners. And I really loved all those things. And I really got a lot out of them as well. It's also like attending, it used to be called CHA, which was the Craft and Hobby Association event and all of those things. And I think making connections and networking and making like-minded friends in this, in your area can be wonderful. But then I had kids and then I was just like, I mean, you know how it is when you have kids and you're just like, oh my gosh, don't make me put on makeup. Don't make me go out in public. I think that's why I started podcasting. I was like, I am sitting here without a stitch of makeup on, no bra, and I'm just talking to you and you are none the wiser. I know. Wait, how old are your kids? My kids are eight and 10. Okay. And you said you're just getting into networking again. I am. And then I think what I've realized is I think like when I had kids, I was like, okay, all those aspects of my life are done. Like now I'm just going to be mom. But now I'm, you know, I'm slowly realizing like I really miss that aspect. And I think that's why I started podcasting in a way was to have these like little mini networking mastermind sessions with other creative people like you. And it's really made me realize like, gosh, I really miss that aspect of one-on-one or in a large group, that kind of just creative energy that comes up. And so like here in Austin, I'm doing an event next week called Caftans and Queso, which is tied into my podcast, but really more than anything, I'm just hoping that lots of creative business owners just come out and hang out and meet each other. You know, like I have a friend who's writing a children's book and then I have another girl who's coming who happens to do children's book illustration. So I just, I love connecting dots for people that way at networking events. So yeah, there's one for everybody. Like you just like have to look on Facebook, look on Eventbrite and you'll find one in your area that works for you. And I realize like not everybody loves networking, but bring a friend. Yeah, it's sort of like a necessary evil, I think. I don't find it evil. I think it's really helpful. But I think for a lot of people, it could be considered evil just because they hate it all. And I think for some people, they look at it as like, oh, it's like the schmoozy thing I don't want to do. And I think that it's, like you said, there's something for everyone and you can find an event that resonates with you, with a group of people that resonates with you. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was mentioning creative mornings, like that's a really great one. That's all like nationwide and they'll have like a speaker and then kind of like a mix and mingle part where people talk. And that one's in the mornings, which I also enjoy as someone who is of the older ages and has small children. Sometimes these nighttime things that start at like nine o'clock, I'm like, whew, that's, you know, that's way past my bedtime. I'm not going to those. Being like, first <laughs> yeah. of all, you're not my people. Like if you're up that late, I could have probably given birth to you. Like it's not going to happen. <laughs> so it's like, let's do the early morning thing when I'm fresh. But Yeah, you know, just look around and see because some are super skeezy, but you can like tell from the description. It's like you were, you know, back to our friend with the really bad Instagram description. You can tell from the picture or from the description of the event what it's going to be like. So find one that's not just all about like collecting business cards and one that's really about, you know, making some new creative friends. Yeah. And I love this idea of making new creative friends because you can relate to all the stuff, everything. I also like the idea of networking outside of creative groups, you know, like whether it's a business group or a philanthropy group or whatever, right? Because it's good to make connections outside of your industries because you never know where those will lead to. Absolutely. I mean, I, I go to lots of different groups like that around Austin. Now, not all the time and not with tons of regularity, but yeah, I mean, now I'm a very social person, right? But like, I'm definitely of the mind that like, you can't have too many friends. There's no such thing as 
too many friends. So I don't care what they do for a living. Like connection's a connection and a friend's a friend. So I love that you just mentioned the word friend because to me, that is my secret to networking. Like I never meet people and look at it as like a business relationship. I'm kind of looking at these people like, oh, these are potential friends. And it is through the friendship that the business helping comes later. Have you found that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just, I think that's one of the keys is like, don't go into it looking to make a connection, go into it looking to make new friends. And when that gels, then other things, if they're going to come from it will, but yeah, no. And like the people that maybe I met at a networking thing, but are now like legitimate friends that like I text with, like that's always where some of the best things career-wise have come for me. Yeah. And I also want to mention Instagram. I think Instagram is such a good way to do modern day networking. Like, for example, I am talking to you now. Like we're in each other's circles now, right? And I've met the coolest people on Instagram. I feel like what I love about networking on Instagram is you just know right away, like what they're about, what they like, what they're doing, who they work with. If you'd be friends with them in real life and you just like build a connection off the bat. Totally agree. And there, you know, the other thing too, is like a lot of times I'll sometimes like reach out to people, like if I'm traveling or I'm going to be in their neck of the woods, you know, and I know they're in whatever city and people have done that with me. I don't know, this spring I've had dinner with Amy Tan or Amy Tangerine. And then this other girl I met in California, Natalie from Natterdoodles, like she's coming and she, she and I are going to go out to dinner. So that's what I mean. Like you meet these people online and then when you come to their part of town or their neck of the woods, you reach out and you're like, Hey, like, let's get together and go have dinner or coffee or like meet in real life. Yes. Yeah. And that's when those things happen. I totally agree. What are the consistencies that you see with creatives who are successful with their businesses? I mean, I guess the consistency is they're good at marketing. You know, the people that I know that have been in this industry for as long as I have are also people that I could sit around and we could talk about the last podcast episode that Gary Vaynerchunk has, as well as what the new Mod Podge is like. You know, it's people (laughs) that are just as equally interested in marketing and social media as they are in creativity. Another thing is just people that aren't afraid to kind of put it out there and put, I think sometimes people worry so much about curating their feed or, you know, what goes online. People that are just always like producing content and putting it out there and fresh content and new things, not just the same thing over and over and over again, kind of diversifying within their creativity. Those are probably the two big ones is like being savvy at marketing and then also just being someone that produces a lot of content, just always kind of have something cooking and going. Yeah. I think you nailed it. I think you really nailed it with those two things. I agree with you. (laughs) Well, we spent a lot of time talking about making money with your creative work, but what about the idea of keeping your hobby a hobby and not feeling the dang pressure into turning it into a side hustle? Do you see people feel that kind of pressure? All the time. I mean, if you don't put it on yourself, I feel like people will put it on you. I mean, that's honestly how I got started with Naughty Secretary Club is like, I made a piece of jewelry. And then somebody was like, oh, you should sell that jewelry. And then I made it for a friend. Like, oh, you should have a booth here. I think everybody, and especially, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. Now it's even, this was pre-Etsy. Now all you got to do is have like an email and you can start an Etsy account. So, you know, and there's a craft fair on every street corner here in Austin. 
I think people really feel pressured like, oh, you know, maybe I should try to make a living at this. Or people have just lost that that sense of like, sometimes you can just create for yourself. You don't have mm. to show anybody. You don't have to monetize it. You can just take that pressure off. You don't have to take a pretty picture of it. You don't have to stop in the middle of your flow and take a step by step because maybe later you're going to put it on your blog. And I think especially as a freelancer, I go through this where I'm just like, well, man, but I need to be making money. I got kids that need camp and blah, 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 you know, and I got a pool that needs patch repair and this, that, and the other. Every single thing that you ever glue something to does not have to be a source of income. Sometimes you can just do it for you and that is perfectly fine. I love that because I agree with you so much. And I think a lot of us feel like we don't have the permission to do that because it's just a supreme waste of time or it's like self-indulgent. And it's not. No, it's totally not. I even used to go through that. This is going to sound so silly, but I think it goes back to like, let me bust out my psychology degree here. I think this goes back to, you know, like my dad being like, let's watch Wall Street Week in Review or let's watch like some PBS special or I'll buy you a new pair of Doc Martens if you read this Viktor Frankl book about man's search for meaning, whatever, you know, that for a long time I felt really guilty about ever watching any kind of TV or movie that wasn't like a documentary or in some way bettering myself or it didn't have like subtitles. And the Mm. same thing with ever reading fiction books. I honestly listened to that book, Circe, on Audible the other day. And that is one of the first times I've listened to a fiction book in a long time because I think sometimes I just feel guilt like, my gosh, that's just so frivolous. How could you dare spend time listening to something that's not pushing your career forward or like improving your social media skills? Like, I think we just sometimes get as freelancers get so caught up in that, like that it's okay to sometimes just do stuff for you that doesn't necessarily end up in making money or helping your career. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's funny because creativity really is the complete opposite of that. Meaning creativity is when you are relaxed and flowing and just letting the stuff you want to make out without judgment, without shame, you know, mm-hmm. just just doing the thing that you want to do. And once we start putting layers on it, like that guilt gets to us and it's like, well, you know, it's only worth doing this if it's productive or if it makes money or if it's an end goal in sight. And it's like, you're stopping that flow of creativity when you do that. Mm -hmm. Like you said, like, it's okay. It's not self-indulgent. It's self-care to allow yourself to do those things. And from doing those things, you know, you really don't know what could happen. The example I use a lot is my very first book called Waggish. It was a collection of smiling dogs with really cute captions written by my writing partner, Melanie Montero. And that came from me just taking the hundreds of smiling dog pictures I have and throwing it up onto onto an Instagram page just for fun. Like it wasn't like this is going to turn into the next thing. It's just like, let me just curate all these pictures together because I think it's cute. And then from that, years later, I'm talking three years later, that turned into a book. Have you experienced that where you like make a thing because you love it and you want to, and then it turns into something later and you didn't even expect it? I mean, definitely. That's how my jewelry went. I told you I had these set styles and that, you know, that was going great. But then I wanted to make this like crazy wackadoodle jewelry. And I was like, Jesus, anybody going to like this jewelry? Like it's so out there. Anybody that's ever met me in person or seen me in person. I mean, for example, the event I'm throwing is called Caftans and Queso. So, you know, I kind of can tend to dress very obnoxious. So the jewelry I was making was really over. <laughs> the top because I was like, there's no jewelry out there that I want to wear that's like ridiculous enough for me. So I have to make my own, you know, never thinking it would be a thing. But then it did even better than the other jewelry. It was in 
Teen Vogue, Marie Claire, Elle Accessories, 17, magazine after magazine was doing big photo shoots with all my like crazy giant jewelry that I was literally making out of baby rattles and dice and <laughs> random stuff I was finding at the flea market. All the while I'm thinking like, nobody is ever going to like this, you know? And like, little did I know, it's like, oh, wait, snap, they did. That is so cool. And it, you made it because you liked it. Yeah. And I think sometimes like people lose track of that. I made it because it's what I wanted. And that's kind of the way with like the art I make. Now I'm not like breaking the bank on my art that I paint, but it's like I paint art that I want to see. And I've started making jewelry again. And again, it's like super crazy. And like, it's more kind of a combination of my art and jewelry, but it's jewelry that I want to wear because I see a hole in the market for it. There's not one that I want to buy that's similar. So it's like, well, then I'm just going to make it myself. Mm -hmm. I saw on your website, you're a self-proclaimed ADD crafter. Can you talk to us about that? Because I think for some people being ADD, especially when it comes to having a business, could sound like it's a bad thing. On the business side of things, yes, for me, sometimes it can be bad because I'm just like kind of all over the place. You know, I'm literally like a card carrying member of ADD, like diagnosed, but you know, I'm also a Libra in an Enneagram seven. So just like, it's a myriad, it's a myriad of problems for me, really. Basically, I'm let me put it to you that way. <laughs> Real flaky and flighty. But I think as a crafter, it can also be a good thing and something that people should embrace more because, you know, I learned the hard way with that jewelry, like day in and day out making jewelry that it just burned me out on jewelry. And so I am much happier as Jennifer Perkins 2.0 now that I don't do that. And one day I'm making polymer clay ornaments. The next day I'm making glittery earrings. And the next day I'm making soap popsicles. You just need to figure out, you know, how to make that work for you financially. But as far as my personal happiness and sanity, it just fits for me so much better. And I'm like that, not even just like online, like I'm like that in real life, like taking classes on like fabric marbling, or I just did axe throwing two weeks ago. It just kind of works for me and my personality. And I find that when you're always embracing your crafty ADD, that you may think to yourself, wow, how is like fabric marbling going to behoove me as a brand ambassador for a Christmas tree company? But you know, when you give yourself that space to kind of open your mind up a little bit creatively into something totally different and not in your career path, you never know. Oh, you know, it might inspire you in some in some other way. Yes. You know, I did a recap of the show called The Creative Brain on Netflix. It's this documentary that came out with this neuroscientist named Dr. David Eagleman. And he put into words something that I've always known intuitively about my creativity, but he calls it input. It's like expose yourself to as much different input as possible because then your brain is going to take all those pieces and sort of like refashion it together into something new. So it might not literally be like you're going to take your marbling and like do marbling one day, but that is stored in your brain somewhere and it, it can combine with something else that you're doing and come out into this cool brand new thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's in my watch list. I'm going to bump that guy up. <laughs> yeah, it was a good, it was a good documentary and I really, I enjoyed it. It had a lot of really um, just interesting factoids about her brain and just how things really come together. And that's why, like he was saying, traveling is so good too, because it's like you're adding more input into your brain. Yeah, traveling. And you know, another thing, I did a whole podcast episode about, for me, thrift store shopping. 
in going to flea markets because as a creative person, there's just so many things. I mean, A, it's just kind of a mental break. I'm out walking around, you know, I'm just kind of looking at stuff. But then maybe there's like a crazy floral couch from the 60s. And I'm looking at that and taking in like, man, like I love that weird color combination. I would have never thought about those colors together. Or maybe I see like a vintage shirt and I'm like, I love the pattern on there. How can I replicate this into another way? So, I mean, I think like creative inspiration is all around all the time. And even when you don't realize you're digesting it, you totally are. Yes. I love that example. It's why I love going to museums or just really, like you said, it's everywhere. So I'm very fortunate to live in a city like Los Angeles where you really, you can't walk outside of your house without seeing something beautiful and cool and amazing. I really like getting inspiration that way. You might not normally be exposed to, like you walk into a flea market and you see a really cool fabric on a couch. This is why I subscribe to fashion magazines because I actually, I, I hate fashion personally. That is not my expression. But I like fashion magazines because the photography is beautiful and it's so different than anything I do. And so there's like a lot of really good inspiration in there. And personally, I think finding inspiration this way is better than say, again, I'm going to use photography as an example, but like if you're a dog photographer or if you're any kind of photographer, don't only look at the people in your genre for your inspiration because what's going to happen is now you're filling your brain with all that input and it's going to come out and you're going to be like inadvertently copying other people without even really realizing that you are. And I think the really cool, amazing creative stuff happens is when you go out into the greater world, look at the stuff out there, let it come into your brain, let it marinate and then see how it comes out in a new way. And as a dog photographer, when I see new people's work pop up in my Instagram feed or I see like a new dog photographer come out on the market, I can almost always tell you what dog photographer they were looking at to get started. Because they look, they're like channeling this other photographer that's already out there. Yeah, you can see it. No, I totally agree. Like, it's funny. Like, if you were to go through like my Pinterest feed, it's not, you know, now given there's a stuff I pin because, you know, I'm using it as a social media tool. But on my private boards, there's, I mean, just wackadoodle stuff that has nothing to do with anything I do career-wise. Lots of fashion spreads, just like you said, for the photography, for the color combinations, for the styling, all kinds of stuff like that. Interiors, like I rarely look at things, you know, like I said, I'm a Christmas tree ambassador. I'm not really spending that much time looking at other people's Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at other things. That floral couch, I mentioned it in the podcast episode that I saw at the thrift store. I ended up decorating an entire room in my house and Christmas tree based on the color scheme in that couch. You know, it just kind of comes out in other ways. I totally agree. You know, I'm curious personally, because I'm a mom too. How do you do all the things? You do so much. And just like this new Captains and Queso event you're doing, like how do you literally, like how do you do this all and how do you keep from burning out? I mean, I guess everything's not just firing all at once. Kind of like we were talking about the multiple streams of income thing. You know what I mean? Like right now, I don't have anything due for Travel Channel or HGTV or DIY. So of course, I had like a little five-second lull and was like, I know, let's plan this big event because that's just just how I roll. I guess like I don't sit still well. I especially don't mentally sit still well. I got to always have something going. But you know, my kids are... How old is your kid? He's six. Okay, six. They're a lot more hands-on. Like this is honestly the first summer for me that my kids have not just about been driving me to drink with their fighting. They're really (laughs) that like perfect age where they kind of want to, you know, they're not fighting. We're having a good time. Like my daughter is super into crafts. That's not hard because she wants to sit around and watch RuPaul's Drag Race and do crafts with me. So it's like, I'm always on board for that. And then, you know, my son, he has like his own things going on. So once you have kids, you 
start to realize real quick, like I used to be like, God, I'm just going to sit in my studio and work for hours on end. And like the creativity will come at about the three hour mark. And then I'll really get my flow on. You know, you just learned, you better like channel the muse quick. And mm-hmm. like when you have like 15 minutes in between finding a show on YouTube and making a chocolate milk, you better make some magic happen in that 15 minutes. And so I guess I've just gotten really good at working in little baby chunks in between momming. That is so true. That's exactly how I am. It's like, okay, I have 15 minutes before I have to go pick them up from school. So let me just watch this one thing or try to knock this out. And it, I guess I guess you get more efficient. You, you're forced to get more efficient. You totally are. Like I have another friend. It's funny, in my neighborhood where I live, there's like four of us that are like professional full-time crafters. There's my friend Vicky Hal, who's a knitter. There's my friend Kara, who runs a website called Kylo Chic. There's me. And then there's another girl named Allison who has like a crochet company. And it's it's funny, like, because I'll see them in the pickup line at school and they're like on conference calls. And we're, walking to pick, we're walking to pick up our kids. And like, what are you doing? Oh, I got to add these hashtags on Instagram. And it's like, yeah, I know how that goes. You know, you're just making it work. Like even when you're like walking to pick the kids up. Oh, I love that. Oh, this has been such a fun interview. I have just one last question for you. Give it to me. How do you want people to remember this episode with you? Jeez, that's a deep one. Like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I think above everything. I really want people to just, when they think of me and think of uh, conversations with me, I want them to think of them as fun and happy and joyful, you know, more than anything. I, I, I don't think of myself as like a super, like I'm a very serious businesswoman because I am the kind of the exact opposite of it. I take business very seriously, but I don't like to be portrayed as a super serious person. I would rather be, I'd rather this episode be thought of as a fun one. And I think honestly, that is the essence of creativity. At the end of the day, it has to be fun. Otherwise, why are we doing it? Exactly. If it's not fun, then why bother? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all your time and all your creative nuggets. I love your feed, as I mentioned. So you guys need to go look at her work because it is so fun, so happy, so colorful. And your podcast is awesome too. And that's Creative Queso. So thank you again for all your time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show on iTunes and share it with a friend. Don't be shy. Reach out to me anytime online and I will catch you next week on the next episode.